Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information, go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. get into the message today. Welcome to Grace Life. Glad to have you guys here, especially if this is your first time. Uh, I'm going to do something a little different. Uh, Churches are notorious for getting up every Sunday, giving you a message, and watching you go home. It's just kind of what we do, right? And and it's not very often that somebody comes back and says, what did you do with what we said last week? So if you would allow me a moment, I feel like that's where we are. A couple of weeks ago, I had my mentor and pastor, a friend of mine, come, and he spoke uh, on a theme called Every Ship in the Water. How many of you remember that? There we go. Okay, good. And so, really, I feel like it is time for someone to just ask the question, what did you do when you went home and looked at your boat in the garage? What's changed for you in the last two weeks? That's really what this announcement you just heard about tomorrow night, that's what this is about. You see, here's what's happened in the first six weeks of 2018. 41 households have visited Grace Life for the first time. 41 households multiply times four or five or six or one. I don't know if it's singles or families, but 41 households and 21 of those people have made Jesus their king in the first six weeks. When we began the idea of building a building, for those of you that are guests, we're in that process. We hope to move out of here by the end of summer and be worshiping there. When we began this process, we said all along, the building's just a building. We've tried to repeat that message over and over and over, but what we have said is the the building will be a beacon to this community. It's going to be a large, attractive building on the most influential road in Northeast Columbia. And so if we're surprised by 41 households coming and 21 people making Jesus their king in this place in six weeks, imagine what God intends to do there. And at the end of the day, chairs don't change lives. They're helpful so that people's legs don't get tired. But that's it. And computers and screens and and lights don't change lives. If there is no one to shake a hand and smile when they're having a bad day, if if there is, it's people. God works through people. So here's the deal. Some of you sat through the message two weeks ago, every ship in the water, and said, that's nice. If I'd have lived during World War II, I would have put my boat in the water. And you went home and you've changed nothing. Here's what you need to understand. You live in the greatest war that's ever taken place. It's spiritual. It's between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And it is time for us to think about what we have and what we could do to make a difference that that is going to be needed. The reality is in the new building, there will be more doors. We don't have enough blue shirts for that. There could be more doors. There are going to be more seats. There are going to be more aisles. And it means more people to make a greater difference. In the new building, we're actually going to worry about parking. <laughs> we don't worry about parking. There are no lines out there. Try controlling people when there are no lines. No, no, no. We just let you guys do whatever you want to do. And the story goes on. We're going to have people that God is going to bring to us. The question is, are we going to be there and are we going to be ready? It takes more of us going home, looking at our spouse and saying, honey, we've got a boat. We don't do anything with it. We're not on a team. We don't serve. We're not involved. We watch what God is doing. We clap when 21 people get saved, but we weren't part of it. Let's change that. 
So that was your loving pastoral encouragement to say, come on, seriously, let's do this together. So uh, this slide, if they'll put this next slide up here, there are two things going on. Some people have been asking me about tomorrow night. Look, I'm just going to be honest with you. If you're on a team and you love where you're serving, don't come tomorrow night, most likely, because your team leader will be mad if you leave that team to join one of those teams tomorrow night. So if you love children and you're working with children and you've got a purple shirt, you don't have to come tomorrow night. This is not not about you. Tomorrow night is about recognizing from the second someone drives onto the property until the minute that they drive off that we need to create an environment, right? Are you guys with me? And so if you have a heart for seeing people be welcomed, if you have a heart for watching that, that person drive in, they've had a really bad day and there's anger on their face or they're fighting with someone or, or they're in the back seat being dragged here by someone or whatever the story is, if you have a heart to see their countenance change, either through the smile or helping them find a parking place and not getting run over the parking whatever it is, tomorrow night is for you. If you're not on a team or if you don't like the team you're on, I'm just going to give you a free out. You ever wanted all, this is your chance. Come tomorrow night, join that team and just tell the other person, hey, sorry, I was inspired. Hey, there you go. But some of you are saying, actually, I don't really want to shake hands, but I love kids. And your opportunity is next Sunday. So in the next seven days, two of the largest opportunities for two of the largest teams for us to make a difference by the time we get to August. And we need to start now. So either next Sunday afternoon, if your heart goes out to kids, tomorrow night, if your heart goes out towards the idea of hospitality and making an environment where people are disarmed and feel welcomed and relaxed. And I don't mean they feel disarmed. I mean the enemy is dis- Y'all get what I'm saying? That didn't come out right. Anyway, so there you go. God bless you guys. Hope to see you tomorrow night or next Sunday or on a team, one of the three. Those are your choices. So every ship in the water, let's do something with that. All right, here we go. We are in a series called Off the Wheel. We're on part two of that. If you missed last week, of course, part one is online or on the app. You can always go and get that. Uh, matter of fact, speaking of the app, it's gracelife.church app, and we're using it during this series. If you don't have it, go ahead and download it real quick. You might get ready by the time we need it here in a minute for some crowd interaction. So the whole idea behind this series is the number of times I have sat in my office to help someone. And they come in and say, I just feel like nothing ever changes. I get up every day, I go through the motions, it's over and over and over, and nothing ever changes. Kind of like a hamster on a wheel. They get on a wheel, they run all of their energy out, they run their poor little brains out, and by the time they step off, they're in the exact same place. As a matter of fact, the wheel does all the moving. They get nowhere. And so this could apply to every area of life, many areas of life. We're using the theme to apply to our finances because this is one of those areas that we all struggle with. And the reality is this. If you stay on this wheel long enough, you will begin to question the goodness of God. You can only run so many times around that wheel before you figure out that the one in charge of it is not on your side. So I want to speak to the teenagers for a minute, the younger ones, maybe the newlyweds like right over there. Those of you, if you were here last week, we told you we're doing this series in themes of time. Last week was yesterday. Obviously, today is today, and next week, you can guess, will be tomorrow and so forth. But last week, we talked about the idea that we're haunted by our yesterdays. We wake up every day, and we still owe yesterday's bills, and we're still dealing with what we already did. We're paying for what we already ate, and we're paying for what we already bought, and those kinds of things. The younger you are in the room, the better off you are. Because chances are, if you're 15, I hope you do not have $10,000 of credit card debt. You shouldn't, 
You shouldn't have any way to have gotten yourself there. You probably do not have an overwhelming mortgage or a car payment. You probably don't even have a driver's license yet. The younger you are, the better off you are to hopefully not even be worried about your yesterdays. So today matters more than anything. And today, and today while we talk about today, how much fun was that? Matters to you because you can avoid getting haunted by your yesterday. So that's what we're here to talk about is how we, we feel like sometimes God's not with us today. I told you a little bit of a story last week about uh, my financial situation when I first got married to my wife and how we were overwhelmed with debt. <clears throat> and some of it was because of choices we had made. In my case, one choice in particular. I got a scholarship to college, full paid, all expenses, all books, all tuitions. I lived like a king. It was the state of South Carolina. It's called a governor's teaching scholarship. And all I had to do when I graduated is come back to South Carolina for just four years. Come on, somebody beyond the age of 26. Tell me how easy that would have been, right? Felt like a prison sentence to me. And so when I was in college, I really got fired up with serving God with my life. I knew he wanted me to do this. And so I chose to join a church planning team and move to Romania after college. And so what that meant is that my scholarship turned into a loan because I was no longer teaching in South Carolina. But I believed that I was serving God and God would bless me and I would be so much better off. Except I ended up broke. I ended up with such a high payment on that loan, I couldn't even afford to stay in Romania. So I came home to get a teaching job. But I had met this really great pastor when I was in Romania who had decided to start a new church in North Carolina, and he wanted me to help him. And I thought, this must be the call of God. So instead of going back to South Carolina, I went to North Carolina, and I continued to make those payments. And my wife and I, after about a month of this, we looked, and we simply wrote down our rent, and we wrote down the loan payment, and then we wrote down what I made. And I was already negative. We hadn't even got the groceries. We haven't even gotten to clothes. We haven't even got the gasoline, which has to go in the car to get to the job. Y'all know what I'm saying? And so I did what, unfortunately, I'm not alone. Other people do. And they look and say, God, I'm trying here. I'm trying really hard to serve you, and there's just not enough. You're not good, and it's your fault. And I will just stay the course until you decide to get on board. It was not an option in my head that God could actually use a believer working in the South Carolina school system for four years. That was not an option. I had gotten to a place where I didn't think God was with me because I had sacrificed and sacrificed and sacrificed to serve him, and I was broke and broke and broke. So here's our little bit of uh, audience participation today. Pull up your Grace Life app. Got two questions for you. And before you answer these, because these are a little more difficult than last week, I'm going to go ahead and remind you, this is anonymous. No one knows who you are. We don't have your phone numbers. We do not have your IPO. Is that correct? No, not IPO. I, IP. There you go. <laughs> IP addresses. I am in my 40s. Anyway, we do not have your IP addresses, so there you go. Two questions for you. The first one today is on a sliding scale of 1 to 10. You can slide it back and forth. When you consider your financial situation, how blessed do you feel? And you need to be honest. How blessed do you feel? The second question is the hardest. And again, nobody knows you. And by the way, I would encourage you to be honest with God. It'd be good to be honest with God. Do you feel like God is on your side? Or is God withholding from you? 
Is God on your side? Do you feel like every time you pray a prayer, God shows up and answers that? Do you feel like every time you have a need, you get home and the money's there before you even get home to tell your spouse you have a need? Or do you feel like you keep asking, you keep praying, and you keep waiting, and well, come on, God. All right, so that's how you answer those two questions. I think we all have these days where we feel this way. So let's take a look at where we are. Well, no, let's give you some time to answer. Here we go. Answer, if you haven't already done that. This is where I'm supposed to do a little dance. Pop hat. Yeah, not going to dance, actually. Because I want you guys to like me. Let's see what we got here. Question number one, how blessed do we feel? We're on an 8.3 as a group. I have to be honest, I'm, I'm a little surprised. That's a little better than I thought we would feel. That is good news, and that is good. So second question, though, when, how financially, how do you feel God is? How do you, what, that, you get the point there. 89% of us feel God is on our side. 11% feel God is withholding. That, again, is also very encouraging. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. But it doesn't take away what we need to talk about today which is to put ourselves in a position where maybe we can get to 100% and we can get excited about what God is doing regardless of what your bank account says. That's what God has for us today. So if you would, turn to Philippians chapter 4 today because I want to show you the person who wrote the majority of our New Testament. He had times in his life where, where he was living at high and he had times in his life where he was in the worst of the worst. And he wrote for us the perspective that we need to have every day to avoid difficulties with yesterday and as well to set us up for tomorrow. And so he starts out in verse 11 of chapter 4. <clears throat> and he says, not that I am speaking of being in need. In other words, hey, look, don't, don't take my letter the wrong way. I'm not asking you for anything because I have learned in whatever situation, I have learned in whatever situation that I am to be content. The encouraging thing that comes to me here is, is what Paul said, the I have learned part. Because I don't know about you, I'm not naturally content. Anybody with me here? I am not naturally happy when I want something and can't have it. I'm not naturally happy when I need something and God expects me to pray and ask for it. Come on, Some, shouldn't somebody just be serving me and my happiness here? It's not natural. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't natural for Paul either. If you've ever read much of the New Testament, we just have this ongoing story of his life changed because he met Jesus. And so I'm sure he's constantly learning things, and this is just one of many. He has learned. Some of us are still in school. I know I am. He goes on to say, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. I know in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret. Oh, wait a minute. So he learned. Now he's actually telling us there's a secret. He's learned a secret of facing plenty and hunger, of facing abundance and need. I've never heard anybody refer to plenty with saying, I've learned to face plenty. That's a new language there, isn't it? I learned to face winning the lottery. I learned to win having a nice beach house. I mean, face that is, yeah, anyway, just hits me funny when I think about he had to face plenty and face abundance. But he goes on with the ultimate punchline of all was saying, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What is this secret? What is the secret of facing a lot or a little? His answer really is, it's, it's your perspective. It's how you look at whether or not you have a lot or whether you have a little. Because he says, I can do all. And that is kind of the magic words. I can do all. 
what we tend to think is I can do wealthy, I can do comfortable, I can do a nice vacation, but when that's not there, the answer is not I can do this. The answer is get me out of this, right? Come on, somebody with me? There is, we, we just immediately think if we're not super blessed, the only answer is God change it. And he's saying, no, I can actually do this. I can come over here and have a steak dinner and I can go over here and have, have a salad that even has no meat on it. I can pretend I'm vegan, come on. A couple of staff members I'm picking on there. Anyway, he says, I, I can do both. There's nothing wrong if God says, do this one. I can do it because God is in me. What is the secret of facing hunger and need? How do you have nothing and keep your heart clean? Isn't that tough? Come on, isn't that tough? To have nothing and keep your heart clean? And he answers it, but not in this book, but he answers it in another book that he wrote, another letter to one of his, his mentees, one of his disciples. And he says, keep our focus on heaven, not earth. Because as long as your focus is on earth, you're going to look at what you don't have. But if you keep your focus on, on heaven, you're going to see what you do have. So here's what he says in 1 Timothy. You don't have to turn there. It's just one line I'm going to read to you. <clears throat> but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is our gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of this world. He's speaking to a younger pastor that he's mentoring. And he's trying to say, hey, look, keep your eyes on what's in front of you. You didn't bring it in. You're not going to take it out. Don't get caught up by not having it. And they particularly had to speak this way because most of the believers were being oppressed or suppressed. And there was a wealthy government. And, and to keep your wealthy jobs, to keep your positions and to keep all of that, it, it didn't usually go with declaring Jesus as actually being the Messiah. Most people thought he was kind of crazy. They had crucified him. We're in the first decades after his death. And if you say, I'm one of the ones that believe he actually came back to life, it didn't go well for you in terms of prosperity most of the time. And he's saying, look, you just need to remember, we've got something greater in front of us. Don't get caught up with this stuff. And don't lose sight of who Jesus is and what he's doing in you. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, largely because I'm not caught up with this world. This world doesn't matter as much to me. In this same book that we just read, Philippians, he also reminds us our citizenship is not in heaven. I mean, it is in heaven. It's not here on earth. Our citizenship belongs somewhere else. Here's a good question for you. What's the secret of facing abundance? What's the secret of facing plenty? How do you handle wealth and not let it ruin you? He says he's learned a secret. Count it a blessing, but not an expectation. Count it a blessing, but not a right. Don't become entitled. You know, can I be honest? Christians don't do well with blessing. At least a lot of us. A lot of us, we just so believe that we're supposed to be poor and broke as Christians all the time. That if someone comes up to you and says, hey, uh, uh, we were just talking and we want to give your family a week at Disney, all expenses paid. We don't know how to receive it. I mean, in our dreams, we wish somebody would do it, Right. But then when somebody does it, we feel like, oh, oh, what can I do for them to kind of pay them back? Oh, let me go mow their grass and let me take them flower. I mean, we feel guilty. We feel obligated. We feel, and we need to stop and go, wait a minute. God just blessed me through them. Who do you think told them to do that? The devil didn't tell them to do that. The devil doesn't tell anybody to be generous and kind. No, 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 that doesn't come. No, no, God told them, God is blessing me. You know what I need? To, I need to say, thank you. I need to take my family guilt-free to Disney for the week and go, man, isn't this fun? There is nothing wrong with enjoying life. 
I think sometimes one of the difficulties we have as Christians is because we know there is suffering in the world. And there is suffering in the world. And so we feel guilty when we're not in a state of suffering. But what we need to do is be grateful for the moments that God says, you know what, this world is a tough place. Let me give you a reprieve. Let me give you a little break. Let me give you the money for a steak dinner. Go and enjoy it. You may not get it every day. Let me give you a week with some blue, blue water and white sand with your spouse. Let, let me just do that for you. I want you to enjoy it. I don't want you to worry about the suffering. You know what? I've got that under control. I'm God. I want you just to go and be blessed. Paul went from having the most to having the least, and he knew how to do both. He knew how to say, thank you, God, for your goodness. And he knew how to say, my God is still good when I can't feel it here on earth. He knew the secret for both. I think it would help us if we understood the context when he wrote this. He's not just at McDonald's waiting on a happy meal wishing he had a steak. He's in prison. He's in prison because he now agrees with the very thing he used to prosecute people for. Talk about changing sides. He's in prison because he stands up for what he used to kill people for. He used to have everything. He used to be the next leader. He used to be the man. People would give him stuff. He had stuff. He had a great job. He was lucrative. He could give orders. He had wealth. He had resources. He was everything. And when he walked away from that, he walked away knowing that it wouldn't, it wouldn't just be that someday he gets to go to heaven, but it would be that while he's here on earth, he's going to have a different standard of living. It's going to change. And there's going to be a struggle in many things. He knew how to do both. You see, when Paul wrote this, he had nothing. And it wasn't just that he didn't have a steak for dinner. He might not get dinner, and he wasn't in control of that. He didn't even get a choice between which one of the cheaper meal choices. No, no, he didn't even get that. He got whatever came to him. And he was grateful because he got to stand up for God in the midst of that. And that is the perspective we have to have is when, when things aren't where we want what are we going to do and how are we going to stand for God? But now, let's be honest. Does any of us actually hope for a life with hunger and need? Seriously? Any weird people want to raise your hand? I like when I suffer. I hope I never get a nice Caribbean vacation. I, I'm glad when my car doesn't work and I can't afford to fix it. I love getting past due notices on my bills. Exactly. So Paul is saying, look, I've learned the secret of being content when I have nothing. And yes, we all know as Christians, we read that and we're supposed to work toward that. But I don't know any of us that says, hey, hey, God, just take it all away just for the fun of it. I'm just curious how I'd respond. Anybody ever said that? No, exactly. None of us want to be in a situation where we have to deal with what Paul had to deal with. Matter of fact, there's a proverb, you know when you read the Bible, you're praying, you're like talking to God, right? Come on, y'all read the Bible, you're just kind of having a conversation with God. That's the way it's supposed to be anyway. And so there's a proverb that I literally stop every time and say, God, I am not praying this. I'm serious. Let me read it, let me show you why. It's Proverbs 30. And I read Proverbs every month because I read whatever chapter I read the day, like today's the 18th of February, I read Proverbs chapter 18 before I came in here this morning, and that's the way I do it. So I do this about 12 times a year, I get to Proverbs 30, and it says, give me neither poverty nor riches. I don't like that. I, I always stop me, God, I'm, this, I'm not, no, I ain't talking to you. 
I'm just reading what one of your other dudes wrote down, just so you know. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and still and so dishonor the name of my God. I personally think I could have a little more and still be good to God. I do. I really think I could handle it. I also have had times where there wasn't enough there, and I didn't rob a bank to solve the problem, so I'm pretty sure I can handle if he'd do a little more. I tell God, like, I'm not content to have nothing. I'll be honest. And God may, uh-oh. I mean, I might have just gotten myself in trouble. You guys with me? I'm just trying to be transparent for y'all so you don't have to get in trouble. That's what I'm doing. I'm doing it for you. I'm taking the heat for you guys because I know I'm not the only one that says, seriously, God, I mean, if I've got to, I will. I'll be in prison. I'll have nothing for the gospel. I'll probably grumble and complain a little bit. Paul was singing worship songs. Paul was a little insane, God. Come on, let's be honest. I'll do it. But I don't want to, God. I don't want to. I mean, seriously, come on. I've got an idea in my mind of what defines your idea of, or my idea of you being good to me. And, and, and it doesn't have to be a luxury car. It doesn't have to be three houses but I'll take one with some really great vacations somewhere. I mean, I, come on, God, right? We've kind of got this idea of just how low we're going to let God go before we decide he's not good anymore. The question for us is, do you, do you think God enjoys watching us suffer? Do you think God enjoys watching you have lack? Now, now look, here's the reality. The person who wrote this was in prison, and there are times where we're all going to have some suffering in this world. It's a broken world. And we're going to have opportunities that God gives us to say God is good even amidst the brokenness. But all throughout Scripture, the norm is that God's people are blessed. That is the norm. Yes, we will all have those opportunities to suffer. Yes, some of us will be martyred for Christ. Yes, some of us will maybe have an opportunity to go to prison or something. I don't know what the story is there, hopefully for the gospel and not for other decisions you make, by the way, on the prison part there. But I firmly believe if we look at Scripture, God wants his people to experience his goodness in every way. And that includes material things to a degree. We see that. But we also know this. Every one of us either has had, currently is having, or may have someday. Days where you wish you had more. Days where you need more. Days where you just kind of wonder if God is there, right? I mean, seriously, we've all been there. So when we're in those situations, what's going on? What do we need to ask? There are only two possibilities. Possibility number one, it's us. You see, we can do things. We can make decisions that will cause us to end up with a lack in our lives. Some, some sort of thing like a bad decision that got us fired. And when you got fired, there was no income, so that created a lack. Maybe it's a desire to want it and get it now, so you do. And so tomorrow, you've got to pay for yesterday and so there's a lack how about my decision to reject the idea that god could use me in the state of south carolina anybody noticed where i live today i moved out of state to go to college i moved to europe to see if i could get further away i did everything i could to run from this place and when god sent me back here to to be a part of this church and starting this church Someone actually came to me and said, I was praying for you, and, and I believe God says this to you. And he quoted a line out of the book of Acts, and he says, I've saved you from your people to send you to your people. The sad part is if I had listened to God earlier, he would have paid my way. 
That's what he was trying to do. My lack wasn't because God wasn't blessing. It was because I wasn't listening. And I still ended up here anyway. And it's okay. Makes me closer to Charleston. <laughs> Columbia is a great place to live. Second thing is, it's God. If it's not us, it's God. And this might be the part we don't like. But, you know, sometimes God is doing something through the lack. Sometimes God is trying to draw us to a place in our lives or teach us something. Look, I'm a parent, and I've got children, and I've had to teach my children things that really I didn't want to watch them go through. I didn't enjoy the experience while they're going through it, just to kind of lighten the mood a little bit. The silliest example is the, the, one of our children we just recently had to teach to tie their shoes. This child would have been happy wearing Velcro Oxfords when they were 40. They had no desire to ever tie shoes. They didn't understand why I was insisting that they learn to tie their shoes. It wasn't just that they were unhappy in the lesson. The whole family was unhappy during the lesson. Because every time we had to go somewhere, a fight began. Every time we needed to go somewhere, we were now 10 minutes later than we were because of the, and the wait a minute, and then the, the, the loop falls apart and they have to start over. And even me, I didn't enjoy the suffering. Are you catching the analogy here? But somebody just has to tie their shoes. And maybe there's something that God's not laughing in heaven as he takes you through this difficulty, but he is doing something in your soul. And this difficulty might be some lack. So look, let's talk about how to fix this. We'll do the easy one first. When it's us, here's your answer. Be wise. God would call us to be wise. His word is full of teaching on wisdom. And, and the only way to be wise when it comes to, to the money we have today is, is if you don't want to run out, assign it where it goes before you start spending it. We call that a budget. I want you to think about it this way. Imagine you've saved for a very long time and you have enough money in your bank account to build your dream house. And so you, you interview a contractor and he says, I'll tell you what, I can build your dream house. Okay, well, how much is it going to cost? I'm not really sure. We'll figure it out as we go. Well, I've got this much money saved. I mean, how are you going to pay the bill? Well, I'm just going to, just as it, we're just going to figure it out one bill at a time, one day at a time, and we're just going to make this thing happen. Raise your hand if you would hire that contractor and entrust them with your life savings for this house. Seriously, not even one hand? Well, here's a question. Then why do you expect God to do what you wouldn't? Ouch. Why do you expect God to keep giving you money when you're like, ah, just whatever. I'm going to go to lunch, spend as much as I want. I'm going to go shopping, whatever. If it's on sale, come on, God. If, if we, well, anyway, y'all got, the, I'm just going to leave you alone. Last week, we said this. This was our phrase last week. Make a decision, make a plan. Make a decision, make a plan. That plan is called a budget. You need a budget to get out of debt to deal with yesterday. You need a budget to deal with today so that yesterday doesn't haunt you. Are you following this? We need a plan. For those of you that this whole idea, how to get out of yesterday's problems, how to deal with today, everything, we have a life group that, that is designed to help you with this. It is called Financial Peace University. It's by Dave Ramsey. We didn't create it. We just run his stuff. We have ha paused that group, actually paused the beginning of it, to wait until this series is over. 
Normally our life groups are already going, but we're going to start a new life group just for those of you that want to respond to this series. It will start the first Monday night when we're finished. That'll be the first Monday night in March. The first Monday night in March, you can come. You can be a part of Financial Peace University. I personally think every person at some point needs to go through Financial Peace University because no one else ever teaches this, this stuff. I hate to tell you this. Your high school teachers didn't teach it. Your, your college teachers didn't teach it. And most of our parents didn't teach it. Most of our parents taught us what got us into the trouble we're in, just to be honest. So I'm going to strongly encourage you and let you know we have created an opportunity for you. Financial Peace University starts at the end of this. Make a decision, make a plan. But then I'm going to be honest with you, as you would like to push back on me right now. You know what, Jimmy? There are times where I've had a budget. And even with a budget, there just seemed like there wasn't enough. Well, that might be the time when it's God. What do you do when it's God? Be content and confront causes of discontent. How do you like that? Come on. Be content and confront causes of discontent. See, here, here's a couple of thoughts for us. Do you trust God's provision to guide you? If there's no money there, is it possibly God saying, don't go? Is it possible? But here's, here's a better question, because I know everybody in the room is probably going to say yes to that. Of course, God's provision guides. I mean, come on, overwhelming yeses? Come on, seriously, come on, participate with me, hands. There you go, overwhelming yeses. How about this question? This is the one we're going to have a little more difficulty with. Do you trust God's lack of provision to be confronting something ungodly in you? Did you catch that? Do you, conf- do you trust God's lack of provision to be confronting something ungodly in you? You see, quite often, there is a lack. And it's not because God enjoys watching you suffer, but he's got to deal with something. Maybe it's selfishness. Is it it okay? Y'all didn't smile at me when I said that word. But I mean, because you're not selfish, so you can smile because I'm talking to someone else. But selfishness, the truth is we're saying, God, give me more. And God says, I ain't giving you more because you're going to keep it all for yourself anyway. I've got four kids and I have to be like the referee if I bring home chocolate chip cookies. And when I've got one kid that grabs all the cookies... And, and and then they say, give me more. I'm like, oh, heck no. Matter of fact, I'm taking someone out of here. I have to for them. They're not getting any unless I get involved. So if there's selfishness in us, you, you think God's going to keep feeding that? How about materialism? Simple truth is stuff is important to you. And more money means more stuff. And only will become more important to you as you get more of it. And the newer versions of it. This is me. I don't know about you guys, but I'll be transparent for you. Most of the time when I don't have the money I want to get something I want, it's because God is confronting. I've fallen in love with things of the world. I've actually fallen in love with things I'm going to give to goodwill in a year. That's pretty sad, right? I've fallen in love with things that I will fall out of love with. You know what I'm saying? Your new truck and you're happy with it and it's all exciting, but then someday you can't wait to trade it in. You know, those kind of things. We fall in love with things that don't change our lives, but we think they're going to change our lives. That's me. For some of us, he's confronting competitiveness. You've got to keep up with somebody. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's your big brother. Maybe it's your Aunt Sally. Maybe it's because your mom and dad or somebody mean, I'm sorry, said you'll never amount to anything. So every time you come home to Thanksgiving, you want to have a new coach purse for them to see. Think I amounted to something, mama. Come on, laugh with me. Unless I actually just stepped on something and I'm sorry. You want to drive in the driveway with a, a new car. I went through a little situation where we had an older vehicle for a while, our older van that we, we replaced with this one. 
And I had a family member who picked on me for it over and over and over. He said, if you were a better father and husband, you wouldn't let your family in that. Wow. But I knew to, 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 how dare you? I'll show you what kind of man I am. I would have to go against things I believed and to go into debt to solve that problem. So I had to let him win. Competitiveness. How about this one? Coveting. It should make the list. It made the top 10 list for God. You know, it's in the Ten Commandments there. You shall not covet, right? Get, get, get over wanting what somebody else has because we're always going to want what someone else has. Here's the simple truth, everybody. God is withholding because giving you more would allow something ungodly in your soul to prosper. I'm not saying that we can't handle being rich, and I'm not saying that God can't give you two beach houses, but when you keep saying, come on, God, come on, God, come on, God, and he doesn't answer that prayer, the best thing to do is to stop and go, what are you after? And it might be back to number one. It might not be God withholding. It might be unwisdom on your part. It might be a, a, a practical thing you need to do. You might make plenty of money if you let someone sit down and help you budget it and decide wisely. That might be the option. It's not always God withholding. But if God ever does withhold, there are good reasons for it. He's protecting us from worse things in our soul. Do you see it that way? You see, when Paul said, I've learned to be content, Paul has recognized that God knows best for him. God knows best for me. I'm good with being in jail because God has decided that's where I need to be. I'm good with being rich because God's decided that's what I need for today. I trust God. That's what it comes down to. I'm going to close with an observation from a philosopher. It's out of Ecclesiastes. It says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. I love chocolate. I can vouch for this. There is never enough. I felt like I needed to cast a demon out of one of my kids last night. I made chocolate chip cookies. He ate one. And I said, would you like another? He said, no. It's too much chocolate. <laughs> oh, well. For me, there's no such thing as too much chocolate. For me, the whole idea to the cookie is just to hold the chocolate together. <laughs> That's the whole point. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. He who loves wealth will not be satisfied with his income. This also is vanity. You see, here's the conclusion he arrived at. Enough doesn't exist. Enough will never be enough. No matter where you draw the line and say, God, if I could just have that. If you could just that salary, just that lifestyle, until you get there. You see, it's all perspective. We live in America, one of the richest nations. And the truth is, at least if you're in this room today, chances are we're pretty well blessed. Most of us did not sleep under a bridge last night. And most of us will eat today and usually the food of our choice. You see, because I used to live in Eastern Europe on a missions team and, and I married my translator, my wife is from Romania, her family's from Romania, and it was one of the most oppressed countries. And, and her family, when we came to America, suddenly believed that, that we were the rich ones. I was a public school teacher with an overwhelming school debt, but they looked at me and said, you're rich, send us money. I can't pay my mortgage. But you know what? 
to have a nice house and a little bit of a struggle with the mortgage, we've lost perspective. I'm not standing in a bread line. I'm not doing without for six months. And then one of her family members who used to say, you guys are rich, you guys are rich, you guys are rich, came to America to get a job for a little over a year. And suddenly, although this person had an American salary and, and, and was just doing great, they had no money, and they always said they were broke. You see, our perspective changes. Enough is never enough. Whatever we have today, it needs to be enough for today. Here's what I believe. I believe God wants us off the wheel. I believe God wants us off the wheel, but here's the thing. It starts in our soul, not our bank account. Can I say that again? I believe God wants us off the will, but it starts in our soul, not our bank account. Be wise, be content, and confront the sources of discontent. I want to close by talking to those of you that, well, honestly, you've yet to give Jesus even your life. So, of course, you probably haven't given him your checkbook just yet. So let's, let's forget the checkbook part for a minute. Let's talk about what Chris said earlier. Jesus gave up his life dying on the cross so that you could have fellowship with God for all of eternity. If you've never made that exchange, I want to help you do that this morning. If you're at a place where you're saying, I need, I need something with God I've never had. The truth is, it's, it's not stuff I'm discontent with. It's, it's my relationship with him. It's, it's, it's way I feel spiritually. I just feel wrong. I just feel something's not there. I just know something's not right. If that's where you are, I want to help you make Jesus your king here this morning. Not going to ask you to do anything weird or stand up, but right where you're seated, would you all join me and pray? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you died for me. And now I want to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you for your mercy and your forgiveness. And I have one simple prayer here today that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people today. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Grace Life Me and on Twitter at Grace Life Church. Oh,